You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 230 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate, the world famous A.L. Tate, who's just released the second book in this in her series, The Ataban Sci-Fi, known as The Book of Answers. Very exciting. Very exciting. World famous. When did yeah, I get to be world, world famous? famous? Like it's not like people are not actually rioting in the streets when I walk the dog, I have to tell you. They're not. <laughs> Probably for him, more so for him. He gets recognisable than I do. <laughs> oh, he does. I know. He's like famous. <laughs> um, now, how am I? I? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. I've got, you know, minutes before the school holidays begin, so oh, yeah. things are a little bit, you know, tense from that perspective. Um, but overall, I am relatively good. And, of course, we had a very busy weekend, didn't we, oh. Valerie? Busy. It was fun though. You're like a pro. So for those of you who don't know, Alison and I spent an entire day, a full day, um, very recently, just a few days ago, with a production crew and a video crew filming what is going to be Alison's next course and it's for children. Tell us a little bit about the course, Al. Well, it's a creative writing quest for kids and it's all about uh, learning the, you know, the basics of storytelling as well as some um, some more sophisticated uh, techniques um, and basically taking kids through uh, module by module, building up their sort of cr- their knowledge and their confidence in the craft. And um, by the end of the story, uh, the, uh, by the end of the story, mm-hmm. by the end of the quest, um, they'll have a full uh up to, uh, a story of up to 800 words, which is, you know, edited, polished, the whole bit, um, mm. which will be submitted to me for video yes. feedback. Yes. Video personalised feedback. Exactly. Um, Very exciting. Which is, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be um, a little bit fun. I'm going to have to get myself some uh, some lighting and some, um, <laughs> what else do I need? A tripod and some other things that I might need to actually be able to create this said video feedback in some form of professional way um but otherwise it'll just be me talking to the kids about their personal stories and um yeah it should be great so yes so I spent the whole day in front of a camera which of course you know if you are a a long-time follower of the podcast or my blog or anywhere you will know um was confronting for me video is not my happy place um but you know I guess it's one of those things that I mean we're always talking to people about you know pushing themselves outside their comfort zones and doing this you know Mm. doing stuff and challenging themselves and I guess you've got to practice what you preach sometimes don't you (laughs) (laughs) well the thing is obviously I've gone through the course and I just think that I would have loved something like this when I was younger Absolutely would have loved it because it's it's a weekly video from Alison talking directly to the young person, to the young writer about various aspects of storytelling and then they set a story challenge for that particular week and each story challenge builds on the one before so that by the end of the course uh, they get an 800-word story and they might, be, they might um, write many other stories as well during that time mm. but they get to submit their one 800-word story and I think that's so exciting that they get to get – specific feedback and a video made just for them from the author who is mm. you so i would who is love apparently world famous world as well world famous, so world famous, you know yeah. there's that honestly i really would have loved to have had this when i was younger but anyway and what age is it for al um well it's aimed at kids um around the sort of 9 to 14 age group um but of course you know, um but 
where the sweet spot is. And um, to be honest, I think much younger than that would struggle with some of the content. Um, but it's it's a look. It's a great. It's it's for kids who really love to write, who you know write all the time and stuff. Um, but it's also for kids who would like to write better. So it's that sort of like it's it's a it's a kind of a breakdown of all the, the various the structures and the different techniques and things like that that you need to build a terrific story. So it's going to be useful to people who need a refresher or who need a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of additional assistance in that area, but it's also great for kids who just love writing and and, and want, to, want to hear all about it and want, want to know more about it and, and stuff like that. So it's um, I've tried to – I've really tried to make it – it's you know it's it's my passion it's where I'm passionate so wow. I think kids will feel that passion as well oh, hopefully sure. so it's going to be available after May mid-May 2019 so if you want to register your interest so that you're the first to know about it um, then go to writerscenter.com.au slash kids and you can join the um, launch list so that uh, you, you know, you, you get to find out some extra bonuses and some extra, you know, things that are only available for people who are on the list at launch. Mm-hmm. All right. So let us move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Now, you know you, the, the phrase, you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> Is this word of the week? Is this word of the week? Like, I'm no, sorry, this I... isn't word of the week. That's a different thing. <laughs> yes, you know, you've got to be yep. in it to win it. It's mm-hmm. like the thing that I have found is that a lot of people don't enter competitions, or they don't necessarily um, apply for jobs, or they don't go for whatever it is that they're going for because they think that they won't get there. They think that you know, they they need more experience or they're just not in with a chance or whatever. But the reality is that you've got to be in it to win it. And I think that it, I really want to encourage people to enter prizes, to enter things, even, you know, like Furious Fiction, which we run. But this one is the, um, the Rochelle Prize for Emerging Writers. There are obviously lots of other prizes around, but um, Hachette runs the Rochelle Prize for Emerging Writers. And I think that it's it's such a great one for people to enter because the winner will receive $10,000 in prize money and a year's mentoring with one of Hachette's publishers. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a no-brainer. You should definitely enter. Entries close the 9th of July, 2018, and the winner mm. will be announced in November. Don't you think that this is a good thing for people to enter? Oh, I think it's brilliant. And, of course, Michelle Barraclough, and I hope I've pronounced that right because I'm I'm assuming it's a f- sound on the end, mm-hmm. who is in our podcast community, is very, very active in our podcast community mm-hmm. and, um, and also on other various sections of social media. She um, received a highly commended in the mm-hmm. 2017 Rochelle Prize and I, I know for a fact that she has been actively encouraging um, other, you know, other writers, other aspiring writers to enter because, you know, it was such a terrific experience for her. Um, hi, Michelle, seeing you. I'm, I'm seeing you out there. I know what you're doing. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's, um, you know, it, it's the kind of experience that can really, well, it can get you over the line and it can also take you, um, take your writing to a whole new level, which I think is brilliant. And also the the thing that I really encourage people to enter this because it's only being judged on the first three chapters along mm. with the synopsis, right? Mm. So it's open to unpublished writers of adult fiction and adult narrative nonfiction and you don't need the full manuscript. You, you need to intend to complete a full manuscript at some point, of course, but you'll be judged on the first three chapters and I just mm. think that it's, that's, it's just you're mad it if is. you don't enter. It is. And, and of course, if you think the prize... you haven't got any three chap. If you think you haven't got three chapters, you've got till July. Write some. Yeah, write some. But you know, and also the prize is awarded annually in memory of Ashet's Australia's former CEO, Matt Rochelle, who mm. who died suddenly in July 2014. Matt was the CEO when uh, my books were signed, when the Matt Maker Chronicles were signed, and I met him a couple of times. And he was an amazing man, and he had so much energy. And it was his his death was a real shock through the publishing industry. And I think it's 
just so brilliant that this, because he was all about, you know, fostering new talent and new creative people and, um, and new authors. And I think that, you know, this prize is really a, a fantastic thing in his memory. So enter people, you know, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? All right, let's move on now to a, um, a link from Lit Reactor <laughs> um, called Six Tips on How to Be Prolific. Always useful. Six tips Always. on how to be prolific. It's very straightforward and I love mm. the first one. Writing a novel isn't that hard. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> obviously oh. they're just, you know, trying to stir up some conversation. It's not the easiest thing in the world too, but it's not like uh, scaling Mount Everest is what they're trying to say. <laughs> the, and this guy who's who's written this, Eric Beatner, says, winning an Olympic gold medal is difficult. Walking on the moon is difficult. Truly hard things are reserved for a rarefied few. <laughs> Some days it feels like you can't hurl a rock without hitting 10 people with a novel in the works. So before you begin, debunk the myth that writing a novel is something that you're not worthy of. If so many people before you have done it, how hard could it be? Mm. It takes how discipline. hard could it be? Mm. Yes. It does. But I think it's also, you know, I think this, what he says at the end here, debunk the myth that writing a novel is something you are not worthy of is mm. probably the real takeaway from that particular point because I think that's the thing people think, oh, this is something that other people do, but it, it, it's something that you can do too. So, mm. you know, like if, if you if you stop thinking it's something that other people do, then you're much more likely to go, maybe I'll have a crack at this. And I think that yes. that's something because um, I, I remember, you know, people ask me, you know, did I always want to be a writer and have I, you know, I know Kate Forsyth was writing stories when she was six and had mm. full novels done by the time she was 10, and stuff like that. But, you know, I was one of those people that I'd never seen an author. I didn't know what actual authors looked like. I thought they were no. unicorns who lived in towers. Yeah. Um, and it was it was always something that other people did. And I, I sort of realised, you know, it took me until my mid-20s to, just to go, well, do you know, maybe I could do this too. Why, why don't I just mm. have a go at it? And I think that that's... That's a really important – it's a, a really important point to get to is just that notion of why not me. I think yeah. that's it. Why not me? Yeah. Like why not? Yeah. Why not you? Why not you? Um, now, the other thing I found, found quite interesting about this story was his uh, second point in the post was lose mm. the pants. Mm. Now, we've talked about this so many times. Um, his uh, suggestion is that if you want to be a more prolific writer – that you need to, to learn to at least outline your novels. So I think that this is something that I probably have to agree with, even though I am, you know, as we know, uh, more of the pantsing end of the scale. But, mm. you know, if you're going to be writing a lot of books, particularly, and this is where I had to learn to outline, I had to learn to outline because I'd sold a series and I'd written the first book with no um, – without anything. I just sort of sat down and started writing and stuff like that. But then to sell it, to sell it, my mm. agent required me to outline at least a paragraph, like on each, on what each of the books that followed would look like. Yeah. And then once it actually got to the point where a publisher was interested, the publisher wanted synopses. They wanted to know that I knew how to finish this series. So yeah. it wasn't just about the first book. And then, of course, what happens from there on in is that once you have a publisher and you're wanting to sell, you're obviously wanting to write and sell more books because you're not just going to be a one-book wonder, right? You're going to actually mm. be a career author. To be a career author, which does require some sort of, you know, proficiency in getting the words done, um, you have to be able to tell the publisher what you're doing. You have yeah. to be able to say, this is my idea and this is what it's going to look like. Even if you write just, you know, the first 20,000 words of it or 10,000 words. I mean, there are a lot of career authors, you know, who are very established who sell just on synopsis. They sell on the outline. Yes. Um, I am still somebody who has to write my way into the story. So I, I do need to at least write. I, I can't just go, the story will be this based on, um, you know, nothing, based on just, you know, this is me planning a story out. I have to write some of it at least mm. to get an idea of what it's going to be, particularly if it's planning to be a series. So, you know, it depends on how you work, but you do need a little bit of an outline uh, to be able to sell it in. It's as simple as that. And a skeleton, you know, will often help people to, 
um, get to the end of the story as well. It stops you from, you know, spending hours and days and weeks walking around the block trying to work out how to get your um, character out of a hole or whatever it is that you've done to them, which I do regularly. So mm. it's it's the kind of thing that you, um, you know, you've got to have – you know, for me as a pantser, I need to be able to, to just start writing and see what happens. But to sell it and to actually finish the book sometimes, you do need to be able to at least have an outline. And by an outline, I don't mean you've got to do a 20,000-word spreadsheet like some planners mm-hmm. do. I just mean you've got to have a this is going to happen and that's going to happen and these characters might turn up. And the other thing to remember too is particularly once you – um, once your foot's in the door a bit, like I, I will say to my, she will say to me, I need an outline, I need a synopsis, and I will say, I will write you one, but you can't hold me to it because mm. when I, because so I've just actually done a synopsis for a, a second book um, in a potential series. I've written the first book and I had to do an outline for a second book in the series and I said, yes, I will do this, but you can't hold me to it because when I'm actually writing the story, yeah. things may change and if things change, you know, that's what's going to happen. And she goes, that's totally fine. I just need to get an idea of what, where this series is going and what it might look like so that she can then sell it in to the, the rest of the publishing team. Mm. So that's the other thing. You sell it to her, she sells it to them, then the publisher's got to sell it to the bookseller who then has to sell it to the public. You know, so it's a it's a big process. Yeah, definitely. It's um the another thing that he says is don't look back. Writing is a game of inertia. And I think that that's really if you want to be prolific, I know people who will write and then they will go back over those 1000 words or or 5000 words or whatever and edit and try and make it perfect and just keep on polishing it, but the reality is they need to keep on going and write the rest of the story because there's no point mm-hmm. polishing something if, in fact, it doesn't then end up suiting the rest of the story. So definitely keep on going and get that first draft out. I, I, it pained me because yesterday I spoke to two people who were like I reckon 5,000 words off the end of their manuscript, mm-hmm. 5,000 words, and they were stuck. and Well, not stuck, but they had kind of lost momentum, lost momentum. And they, they knew what they would write in the 5,000 words, so that wasn't the issue. Mm. They just mm. were over it. You know, they were sick mm. of it and they mm. lost momentum. And I'm just like, just get it done. Seriously, mm. they were both at that at that point. And, mm. um, yeah, just get it done. Just, you know, even just 5,000 words isn't even that long. So um, it can be easy to allow yourself to get derailed and distracted as well when you really should just aim to finish, definitely. Because we yeah, all come well, up I, with excuses, don't we? Well, we do, but I think this also comes through to his point six, which is right through it. So what happens is mm. that you will hit a point in your story where you just cannot think what to do next. And this is where the problem solving aspect of writing comes in. We've talked about this before. So much of writing is solving problems that you've set up for yourself as you go through and trying to figure out an actual reasonable and um, sort of uh, sensible response or solution to that particular problem. And those are where you hit those walls, you know, like, and that's where the wall will happen. And so, of course, the temptation when you hit that wall is just to go, I'll just go and fix that dialogue in chapter three or I'll just go and tinker with that scene in the middle because you feel like you're doing something useful but you're actually like all you're doing is avoiding the issue which is this massive monumental problem that you've created for yourself Um, and if you realize that you created it for yourself it does actually help because you can you know like you can be as cranky as you want but at the end of the day you did this how are you (laughs) going to fix it I I may only just be working through my own process here, but anyway, oh, clearly. Oh, I get so cranky with myself sometimes like, cause you have these genius ideas and you know what? They are so good and that's why you write them. And then you think to yourself, what was I thinking? How did I get myself into this yeah. mess? Because you're the one that's got to get yourself out. But his point for number six is to write through it. And we've talked about this before and I, and I've discussed that, you know, like people will say like, well, I couldn't write a thousand words. So I wrote none. And that's not how this works. What happens is you have to sit down. You have to confront that problem head on. 
There's no getting around it. You walk around the block a thousand times and you think about it and you think about it and you think about it and then you've got to come back to your desk at some point and you have to write it down. You've got to get some stuff down. And, you know, these are the days where I talk about, you know, when if you're doing, ever done write a book with Al, hashtag write a book with Al, you will know that there are days where, I, you know, if I manage 200 words, it's a big day and it feels like mm. I am wading through concrete and it does feel like that because every word just feels like it's awful terrible there's no flow there's no anything but you've got to get through those bits you've got to write your way through those bits because once you can't it's something to do with like getting those unmotivating uninspired bits out that free up the inspiration again you know the muse will turn up she will Mm. I promise you she is stuck in traffic but she will turn up and the only way to get her there is to actually write You've got to be doing it so that she knows that, oh, okay, fine, all right, I'm on my way. So, you know, like it's, it's, you know, she's not going to come if you're not sitting there Mm. doing it. The other piece of advice I think that you give, which is really, really great, is that idea, and I don't even care if I'm harping on about it because I think it's so important, is the idea of writing in snatched time. Now, Mm. I'm only actually realising now how people don't do that because as a writer, I've pretty much followed that pattern a lot, I think, because you and I have similar journalistic backgrounds and the sheer number of words that we had to produce, we kind of had no choice except to write in snatched time. So Mm. for me, that was like a no-brainer. But what I'm discovering, and it's a similar creative process, is now that I'm discovering the world of art, previously when I was, you know, a few months ago, I was also just doing art in snatched time. But then I found myself telling myself, no, I need to actually set aside a block, like a half a day or even a two-hour block or a whole day or whatever. I can't just start that piece of art if I've only got 15 minutes or 30 minutes. And then in the last couple of days I've thought to myself, that's just ridiculous. You can. You're right in snatched time. Why couldn't you do art in snatched time as well? But it's big, And that's purely because it's it's simply an excuse I've come up with not to do it, simply a Mm. form of procrastination. Because Mm. the other thing that deep down we're scared of is that what we're going to produce isn't going to be that good. So instead we don't produce it, right? Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm not a painter, so I don't know how it works with painting, but I know with writing that even if it's not that good, I mean, it's like I say to kids when I go to school visits and stuff, you know, writing is not brain surgery. You don't have to get it right the first time, but if you have nothing there to work with, then it's just going to be hard forever. Mm. Mm. All right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. Thanks to Studio Canal, we have 10 double passes to the new film, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, opening nationwide on 19th April 2018. Based on Mary Ann Schaefer's internationally best-selling novel of the same name, the film stars Lily James from Downton Abbey in Cinderella as Juliet, a charismatic and free-spirited writer living in London in 1946. Juliet receives a letter from a member of a mysterious literary club started in Nazi occupied Guernsey and her curiosity is piqued so she decides to visit the island. That sounds awesome. So if you want to enter then go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on 16th of April. So the film is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society and go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Now out. Now it's time. Are you ready for the word of the week? Clearly I'm ready because I peaked early. Like I was so ready about, you know, three and a half hours ago. Well, maybe minutes ago. I'm totally ready. Okay. Just me. And I will admit I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right, but this is a real word. It's in the Macquarie Dictionary. Desuetude. Desuetude. D-E-S-U-E-T-U-D-E. Mm-hmm. Have you no. heard of it? I don't know. Okay. This means something that's no longer being used or practiced. So, for example, you might say, the practice of singing the national anthem at some school assemblies has fallen into desuetude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, oh, yeah. the excitement is just coming. I'm sorry. I, 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 just, I don't I, – this is not one that I can ever see myself using and I can't see it on a T-shirt, so I'm not quite sure what we're going to do with it. Are you going to use you, it? Ever? Yeah, why not? You can't even say it. I know, but it doesn't matter <laughs> if you can't say it because all you need to do is write it. Do you know there are heaps of words that I grew up pronouncing completely wrong, but it didn't matter. I use them all the time in, a, in written form. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Because you see, I was the same. And I, I'm sure like if you're, um, if you're a kind of precocious kid mm. who has a, a wide vocab and you're reading like well ahead of your years, you're mm. often reading words that you do understand the meaning yes. of, but you can't pronounce them because you've never heard them. And they're all mm. about 80 you know, syllables long. And so I, I was exactly the same. I used to pronounce words wrong all the time. And, yes. you know, I'm, I'm okay with that because, you know, what if you don't – it was more the fact that I was – I was using them correctly in sentences, like that, in the sense that they they were spot on for what I was yes. trying to say. I just wasn't able to actually pronounce them properly. And I think exactly. that, you know what? Yeah, it's all good. Same thing. It's because like when I used to read Enid Blyton a lot, you know, The Secret Seven and The Famous Five, yeah. and so I, she often – um, use the word awry because you know the famous plans, the famous fives plans would go awry. And oh yes. So I, for years I wrote that word, but much later in life I discovered how it was pronounced. How, how exactly were you saying it? Ori. I'm too saying embarrassed to say. It. No, you have to tell me. You can't put that out there and then not tell me. That's just not. That's not in the Can, rules of the podcast. Uh, well, when I was little, yes, I used to think it was the plans went Ori. <laughs> I can see why you would think that. Yeah. I used to say decorative. That's a very <laughs> decorative wallpaper. <laughs> I said decorative. that forever. Decorative. Things were decorative for quite some time. I don't, and honestly, I see you oh. said really. I mean, how many times in your life have you ever used the word decorative? Like I used to use that word all the time for some reason. Like obviously it was a thing with me. Oh, um, my God. But, yeah, I don't think I've ever used it since probably because I was so embarrassed that someone how actually How old were you when someone told you? Oh, God, 15. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just one of those things where no, I, I don't know if nobody – else had ever heard it or if they just didn't know what I was going on about because clearly it wasn't all worth it. <laughs> yeah, like I was well and truly a teenager. Oh. It's like, well, it's not, it's like, it's but I worked, I, I was at a workplace once. So I, I, I mean, I worked there and, um, for some reason we were doing an event with schools and we had to print the national anthem on to the program and so the, this lady, she, the producer of the event, printed the national anthem, but she printed our home is girth, as in G-I-R-T-H, oh, yeah. by yeah. C. And I had this argument to, with her that it's girt. And, she's, yeah. and And it was just she won because she was more senior than me. How embarrassing is this? So the program got printed with girth. You've got to admit, though, Gert's one of those words. Gert's a cracker. I love a yes. good Gert. I just don't feel like there's enough Gert's in our lives. It's a great word. Oh, our land is Gert by sea. Is there anywhere else that anyone has ever used that word outside of the Australian National Anthem? <laughs> probably not. Ever? They probably use Gert. Gert's hilarious. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, All right. where, where are we up to, Val? We've lost the plot entirely. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Now, I had the pleasure of talking to Donna Wiebeck. Now, Donna is a uh, alumni or alumnus of the Australian Writers Centre, and she's done several courses with us, including uh, the freelance writing stage one, copywriting essentials, how to run a copyright business. And I actually remember a couple of years ago because she really loves writing about real estate. And I remember her asking this question, how do I get into real estate writing? She had not done it before. And I'm just so thrilled that now this is what she does full time. And she just gets to um, visit luxury houses that are worth, you know, bazillion dollars <laughs> to, 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 to explore the house and then write about real estate because she just loves doing it. So this is an example of a woman who had a goal, formed a plan and simply follow it and basically achieved her dream. So let's have a chat to Donna Wiebeck. 
Thanks so much for joining us today, Donna. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Valerie. Now, I'm really excited about this chat because I remember quite some time ago where you had done no real estate writing and that's really what you're known for now. You really specialised in it. But at the time, not that long ago, uh, you hadn't done any of it. And I, I remember having a conversation with you. You know, this is the area that you'd really like to get into. Yes. So just give our listeners, first of all, uh, just a bit of an idea of your life right now and what kind of writing you do and the real estate writing that you have specialised in. Okay, so my life right now revolves about revolves about real estate really and uh, writing for prestige properties on the Gold Coast and Australia-wide. Uh, I decided back in 2016 that I wanted to focus solely on real estate copywriting because that's my main passion, I decided. I liked to be creative. I liked to use words. And I found that that was an area that was crying out for that sort of writing, that really emotional, picture-worthy uh, writing. Uh, so I decided to take the plunge and do that and launched Prestige Property Copy. And it was a slow start um, back in 2016, but by this time last year, it just seemed to take off. And now it's all I do. I can I can visit 11 properties in a week uh, and write them up. And then I might be sent three or four more uh, properties from my remote clients and write those up as well. So I spend my days looking at beautiful houses, either in person or online, and getting to write fabulous words to accompany them. Wow. Now, this is a very specific passion. Like, what exactly are you passionate about? Are you passionate about nice houses? Are you passionate about going into, you know, being a busybody into people's houses? Are you passionate about the actual words? What exact? where did this come from? Oh, well, I'm passionate about every single aspect of it, to be honest. But it was back when we were selling our own home and I was reading lots of for sale ads and I just felt that they were a bit soulless and I just thought this there's really some room here for to, to engage with your potential buyers a bit more. And I thought, I could do this. Like, this is the sort of writing that I like to do. I like to be able to paint that picture with words and insert a person into that place. So when I'm writing copy now, that's how I write it, as if I was wanting to buy this home, how would I feel? And so it started from there. Um, but I had a few roadblocks along the way, a few agents that I knew. I asked them and they all said, no, we do it ourselves. It's not worth investing in. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to let that deter me. I'll, I'll just try and start small. Eventually, I got one person to say yes, and then I just found from there I was able to build momentum. So it is a combination of things. I do love being a sticky beak. I do love interiors, and I do love words. So it's almost like the, the perfect storm. Yes, but it's sort of like what were you doing at the time before you started doing real estate writing? What were – just give us a very, very brief sort of potted history of your career up until that point. Okay, so in 2011 I did my first Australian Writer Centre course and did the freelance writing for feature articles magazine um, and I was just dabbling in that really. I'd had a child, I'd returned to work part-time but always had that urge to write so I was dabbling in that. Um, but I just found that I wasn't getting enough traction with my work there. So I really wanted to try something else. And then I did the Copywriting Essentials course. And that's when it sort of sparked everything off. And I thought, this is where I can make a business out of this sector, this, this particular genre of writing. And have you made a business out of it? When did you decide, okay, this is going to be my full focus and this is going to be the thing I'm known for and I'm going to concentrate on it 100%. Um, late 2015, I decided, okay, this is what I enjoy doing the most. That's what I need to focus on. It took a little while, though, to, to build up to where I am now. It wasn't until mid-2016 that I finally got a website built for it and started. And I'd had a few clients by that stage, so I knew I had enough variety, not just one client constantly showing their houses. I had a variety of clients that I could showcase their work. Um, so by mid-2016, I was probably doing 75% copywriting yeah, and the rest of it was freelance uh, feature writing. But now, um, by by 2017, I was just all completely real estate copywriting. That's the only thing I do. Great. And how did you get those first clients? Were you literally um, cold calling people or how did it work? 
Well, the very first person who took a chance on me was the man who sold our house where I lived. (laughs) (laughs) I begged him to (laughs) to give me a go and he was very kind and let me do a couple of houses for him. So once I had those as an example, I could then pursue other real estate agents. So I marketed myself on LinkedIn, actually. So I realized that's where all the real estate agents were hanging out online. Uh, And then an agent said he was happy to give me a go and he's been one of my biggest supporters ever since, actually. He's been wonderful. He has then referred me on to a lot of his fellow agents in his um, agency and um, other um, agents on the Gold Coast and beyond. So he was basically, him between him and LinkedIn, that was basically what got me started. That is so cool, LinkedIn. Um, that's, mm. that's great. And so what did you just put, real estate writer or, or what did you put in LinkedIn? I- I made a little um, graphic up. I can't remember what I used, something very basic, but just put a little graphic together and a call to action and a pretty picture and a few nice words and just advertised that on LinkedIn. And as soon as I as soon as I got my first nibble, um, I just kept following him up, the poor guy, until he was ready to. <laughs> I just had to show him I was keen, I think. And then as soon as he gave me um, a try, he was like, yeah, I'm happy to to give you all my work from now on and oh that was just the best day ever yeah right and so do you mean you put it on your profile on LinkedIn or, or you put it as a post you as know, a post yeah right yeah. okay and so you get to see all these houses right and now that you're specializing in prestige property you get to see some pretty fancy houses but the thing is especially if you see I even know when I was house hunting and I saw 11 houses say um I forgot, like they, they were all a blur. How do you, what do you do to differentiate that fancy house with that fancy house with that fancy house, <laughs> especially when you have so many? Yeah. Um, luckily, I have a very good photographic memory, so I can recall like what's in what house really easily. Luckily, I've just been gifted with that naturally. I also take lots of notes and if the clients don't mind, I'll snap a few photos while I'm there. But I just I just try to seek out every house has its own individual angle. That's something makes it something special. So if the owner's there, I'll talk to them and ask them three questions about what do they love the most? What will they miss the most? What's been their favorite time in the house? And I, I can get a sense for its hook, basically, what yes. what makes it unique. So I try to do that at every house just so I can make them all sound a little bit different. Yeah. What do you mean by what is their favourite time? You know, like if they had a, like a favourite memory, like some a lot of these places oh. are like massive entertainers, so they might have hosted a wedding there or there's been a dinner there or things like that. Or they um, – so I just, if they've got some, sometimes we've, I've had houses where the mayor's hosted a party there or something like that. So I can weave little things like that into the copy as well. Just state, you know, state that it's been an iconic house on the Gold Coast. It's hosted functions, uh, things like that. So just to try and make it stand out a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, for sure. So you're kind of bringing in some of the elements of feature writing that you learned mm. in feature writing to Absolutely. make it more just more than just a list of features and benefits. Totally, yeah. Obviously, you have to include the features and benefits, mm. but I want to tell a story as well. Yes, yeah, so when that must have been quite, for the people that you're working with, the real estate agents that you're working with, when they've received your copy, that might have must have been quite different for them compared to what they were used to, which was much more of a listing. What kind of reaction, did, I mean, did they give you feedback on that? What kind of reactions did you get from some of those real estate agents? Um, a lot of times because real estate agents are so busy, you might hear nothing and you just assume no news is good news, so that's fine. But then um, I do have feedback um, from agents who will just – I had one the other day. It's the first time I'd worked for her and she wrote me an email in all caps letters and it was just love, love, love every word. I was just like – that's good. That's great. So, and she said, you're you're hired. So she was happy to send me work from now on. So that was wonderful. Wow. And so if you go, you obviously, when you go to a a lovely house, do you have a, a system like, you know, like check out the floor plan first or talk to the owner first or, you know, fill in these bits on my notes first? Do you have a system or you just kind of see what turns up? 
Yeah, it, it depends on um, whether the agent is there and the owner is there. If the agent's there, sometimes they like to lead me through and show me the house and explain all the features and benefits as we go through. Uh, sometimes the owner prefers to do that. But if I'm left on my own to do it, I do have a little bit of a system where I sort of start at the front and do how I would walk through the home, sort of follow the floor plan. Um, and just so I've got an idea in my head of where everything is for my photographic memory, but I'm always taking notes. I'm a bit old school. I still have my old-fashioned notebook, like pen and paper as I'm taking notes, but I just find that that works for me, so I keep doing it. Mm. And how many words would a listing generally be? Or these days, is it kind of like you can write as long as you want because on, online, space doesn't mm. matter? It varies. Some clients are still quite succinct they really want just short sharp copy um so they might be um 300 words uh, maximum for your internet listing with all the features and benefits others when they're multi-million dollar houses and there are just so many things to mention yeah <laughs> seven eight hundred words unfortunately i don't charge by the word though so they get charged the same no matter what <laughs> So that is so true. It's it really is like a feature story because you're doing a profile on the house. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And you are still trying to look for that hook as well, too. Yes, for sure. That is so cool. So what are some of the hardest things? For example, like you mentioned you may get some listings that are remote where mm. you don't get to walk through the house, where you don't get to, you know, exercise your photographic memory. How mm. in the world does that work? <laughs> yeah, they're a little bit more tricky, but I've, I've managed to get around them. The client, uh, well, the real estate agent will send me images, all the images that will be going online, and he'll send me a floor plan, and they will fill out a checklist that I send them, and it'll have all the information that relates all the features and benefits. And I ask them, if possible, to ask the owners just a couple of questions, just so I can still get that sense of why that house is so special and what makes it unique. It is a bit more difficult to, to really get that feeling across, mm. um, but it still manages to work. I still have quite a few. I have clients in Perth and Melbourne and Sydney. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So all over the place, really. That's fantastic. And so have when did you make, did you start off doing prestige property or did that evolve over time? No, it was been mostly prestige because um, I've realised from when I started asking real estate agents at the start and I was getting that pushback that only the more expensive houses, the prestige properties, have the budget to pay for a copywriter. They get it um, built into their marketing, I guess. So it was more, I realised quickly that it was more likely to be that, that market that would pay for a professional copywriter. But, hey, you know, you get to walk around fancy houses, so really this is fine. <laughs> it's totally fine by me. Like I, I leave every house wanting to buy it and I come yes. home with a billion ideas for my own house. Yes, but, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, have, I love it. Have you been in a house where you've just walked in and it's just been beyond jaw-dropping, like, you know? Yes, for good so... and bad. Sorry? Yes, good and bad, actually. Oh, um, tell us both. Tell us both. <laughs> uh, well, one of the good ones, a um, couple of the good ones actually, these are one was is on the market I think for eleven point nine million and the other one's ten. And they are just exquisite. They are just you know, two thousand square metre waterfront blocks with full size tennis courts and twenty five metre pools and you know, Gold Coast skyline as the backdrop and they are like superb. Like there's just not enough nice words to say about them. <laughs> But then sometimes you get a house which is a complete knockdown, but it's in an enviable location. So they're always a little bit more tricky because it's all about the, the old cliche location, location, location with those. But you still have to describe some of what's on site and you still have to, I guess, use your imagination and try and create a picture that the, the potential buyer might be able to imagine themselves when they go and look at this crumbling house. Mm. So if you have a house like that that is a bit of a yucky house but in a good location, do you have to do extra research on the location to try and beef up the, the yeah. benefits of that? 
I do, yeah, yeah. I'll spend a little bit of time when I'm driving there and driving back, just making mental notes about what's um, what's close by, what mm. parks, what shopping facilities, what restaurants, things like that. Because it's going to be, I'm going to have to talk about the lifestyle yes. and the potential, the potential of what could be. All right. So apart from that situation, generally when you're doing your normal houses, what's the most challenging thing about about the kind of work that you're doing now? What do you find that is, you know, potentially can be potentially difficult? I think sometimes it's difficult to get more clients because, I mean, I'd like to be doing this more and more, um, but there is still that pushback on thinking, people thinking I can, I can do this myself. Why would I hire something, hire someone to do something that I could do myself? So I think there's still a little bit of room to move there with um, educating real estate agents that, you know, investing their time with a copywriter would be a wise move. Yeah. That's really the biggest um, stumbling block that I've encountered. Mm. Do you have a list of um, like adjectives or <laughs> like a, a list of descriptions that you can call on to describe a lovely kitchen or um, yes, a I wardrobe? Do. I mean, look at that wardrobe. <laughs> Woohoo! Do you have some kind of ready reckoner that you've developed for yourself? I do. Most of it's in my head, but I have this book. Uh, it's called Words Which Sell or Words That Sell or something like that. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Oh, what's his name? I can't remember. Um, but it has been a godsend mm. and that's um, it's it's like a my Bible. So whenever I get stuck for describing something, I'll, I'll flick through that and I'll get inspiration. Like it might have a list of adjectives and synonyms for superior and just different ways to describe things. So I do use that when I'm feeling a bit stuck, but a lot of it just seems to flow anyway, luckily. You must have read a lot of real estate listings. Like, you know, before you got into it, before you decided mm. this appeals to me, it can not only have appealed to you because you enjoy reading them did you like were you into real estate porn <laughs> yes yeah well that was the thing I and it was all from selling my house I realized how much I enjoyed looking at properties online and things like that so I really do love what I do now I'm not in the market at all to buy a house but I still love looking to see what's for sale in my area and see how it's written up so yeah totally so let me ask you this: Before you decided you want you wanted to do this as a career, which you've yes. done very successfully, were you just even though you weren't in the market looking reading real estate listings? No, not really. Before <laughs> I was in the market, I had a I I, I liked words. I was still infatuated yes. with writing, um, but it wasn't until we decided to sell our home that the whole trajectory of my career and what what I wanted to do started basically do you know what there should be more people in the world like you because oh. <laughs> no seriously because if I love the fact that you turn it into a sometimes a seven or eight hundred word story and when you do that it's something that I would read or some because as you say you need to find a hook you need to actually right. make it appealing to people and therefore it's valid to be read for you know by anyone even if they're not in the market I reckon if there were more people in the world like you who wrote things wrote real estate in that kind of way people would like you'd find so many more people wanting to buy houses because they <laughs> You know, the tur and the turnover would increase significantly because they would get sold into that idea, you know, the story you've told them or the dream that you've created. Now, do you have a target reader in mind when you are writing? Like, And how does yeah. that work? Do you actually formulate a name for them or an idea of them? How does that work? Yeah, I do have a target in mind. I'll either ask the real estate agent who they're targeting, who their ideal buyer will be, and then I'll write with them in mind. Um, but if I'm at a property and the agent isn't there, I can, I, I've got to the point now where I can generally work out who the target might be. And if I'm not sure, I will just email them and ask them just to make sure I'm on the right track as well too. Because I do like to write with the ideal buyer in mind. Yeah, for sure. So what's been the most rewarding thing about, first of all, I guess, what's the most rewarding thing about real estate writing? I'll, I'll ask that first and then I'll go on. Uh, well, for me, it's because 
I think the most rewarding thing is I get to do a job that I love. I really honestly love going to work every day because I I feel I feel so lucky. I get to go and see beautiful homes and I get to write about them. So much better than sitting in an office and doing something that I hate. So it's very rewarding. So how does this fit in with your life? Um, like do you work from home? Do you fit it around your family? How does this actually fit in? Um, it does I do work from home and I do fit it in around my family. This is my first year that I've been able to go five days a week because my youngest is now at school. So that is a godsend because last year I pretty much was doing five days a week, but she was, my youngest was only in daycare three days. So I was doing a lot of working around her and at night and weekends. Um, but now I can fit it in quite easily um, into my five day a week. And I think but there's there's still potential to bring more work in. I think I could still fit more clients in as well too. And do, but I, presumably you have the flexibility because mm. your kids are at school. If you have to go pick them up or go to a school concert or something, you can work it yes. all around that. Yes, that's right. I'm in control of my diary. Um, I try to always, if a client has a specific time they want me to be at a property, I'll do everything I can to meet that request. But if they ask me what time suits me, I can slot them into my diary, however which way it fits in with my needs and my family's needs. So if you had to kind of guess at, let's say you've got that listing over there, Mm -hmm. you've got a listing, and you kind of might spend X number of minutes or hours at the property, X number um, writing it up or or researching. Can you give any kind of estimated time frame per property, how much time you would spend in order to produce what you send to the real estate agent? Uh, it varies because I, sometimes if I'm at a property, I can be in and out of that property in 15 minutes um, and it might only take me – it depends on the property. If it's a two-bedroom unit, I can write that up in half an hour. But if it's a right. five-bedroom mansion on 2,000-metre square block with a million features, I might spend an hour and a half writing it up so I get it perfect. Yes. So it really it really does vary from property to property. I do get a sense of how much time when I get to the property, how much time it will need, but it does really vary from house to house. And I guess it also depends on sticky beak value. <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> and sometimes you get the most lovely vendors who want to ply you with coffee and morning tea and things like that. So and have a lovely chat as well. So wow, that, that, that can certainly eat into your time as well. Have there been any surprising outcomes or has this journey thrown up anything surprising for you that you didn't expect when you first started at? Good question. Not really. Um, I, I felt like I had a pretty good grip on what the real estate market was like, but I do feel like I've learned so much more on the job as I've gone along. So that's been great. Um, I think I always just worry about wanting to make sure every client feels like they're my number one because um, there is competition in real estate. Um, and, you know, they're all, I guess they are all in competition with each other, but I, I always have that you know, hope that they, I make each of them feel like they're just as special to me as everybody else. So that's my hope anyway. When you started out, did you know any real estate writers that you could ask, you know? No. Wow, this is... No, that's... no. You were, my, you were my first sounding board when I asked you. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm thrilled that you've been so successful so far. That's just brilliant and here's the thing I know because I go through periods where like you I will have periods of real estate porn where I'm just reading listings Mm. it's very dangerous because I do get sucked in oh Um, yes so I have to pull myself away but I know that you and I are not the only ones out there (laughs) if there's some people who suffer from the same affliction we do and just read listings even you know just for fun (laughs) and they kind of go oh I'd like to do that because I want to A, sticky beak into people's houses and B, you know, write about something I'm passionate about. You're clearly so passionate about this. What would your advice be to them? Well, they do need to do a couple of courses with Australian Writers' Centre, that's for (laughs) sure. I started with the copywriting essentials and then did the the business. I can't remember the name of it. Sorry, the business, how you build your business as a copywriter. Yes. Um, They were both essential to this a whole building of my business with the lovely Bernadette yes. um so then I would suggest doing that as a basis and then 
just trying to get a few things into your portfolio, whether you have to do them for free or not. I know I hate, I don't really condone working for free, but if it's the only way you can get a couple of things in your portfolio, then it's worth it. And then you can start showing potential clients, hey, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I could do for you. And then then you might have a business born. Just like you. Yes, that's like me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Donna. And just congratulations on building such a successful writing business. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Australian Writers' Centre, for helping start this dream. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular five-week online course in copywriting essentials will teach you how to turn your writing skills into a weapon of mass persuasion. Learn the seven steps to creating compelling copy, how to take a creative brief, the secrets of SEO and much more so you can begin earning good money immediately. Learn online from wherever you are and get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash essentials. There we go, Donna Wiebeck. Isn't that a great example of, you know, somebody who's just gone for it and found their niche and, and just really successful now? Oh, I think it's great. It's uh, we've discussed, you know, several times, and I think even just in a recent episode of the podcast, we talked about, you know, having a niche and how ne- having a niche as a freelancer can just bring you a world of work. Everybody thinks that you need to be general and you need to write about all of the things, and that's the best way to make sure that you're, you know, you've got, you know, fair and equitable income. But in actual fact, specialising. Um, and being the go-to person for that particular area can be incredibly, you know, A, satisfying, particularly if it's your passion, but also B, very profitable. Yeah, and you get to get expertise in that area. So sometimes you end up with more knowledge about that industry than some people in the industry. So mm. I think that there are some people who've, who've followed the same beat, say, for, um, you know, 20 years or whatever. They become – I know a bunch of journalists who've become analysts in that industry. So they've transitioned mm. out of journalism and become analysts at, you know, at banks and at those sorts of places because they know the space so intimately. Um, well, it's, but- it is – and that's great because, like, often mm. what you're looking for, particularly – I mean, even as a journalist, when you're writing a story – what you're looking for is someone who's got big picture um, yes. knowledge yes. of the area. And it's it's really interesting because oftentimes, particularly if you are specialising, it's actually you that's got it because you've done – it's like doing yeah. – I, I remember when I used to write finance all the time. I used to write um, personal finance stuff for, um, you know, various publications, including a regular weekly piece for 9MSN um, money for, for years. And mm. it was like doing – a, it was like doing the equivalent of, of more than the equivalent of any university degree oh, in those sure. things because you are speaking to experts every single time and you are adding a whole new area to your, you know, to, to the sort of breadth of knowledge that you have. And, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting, interesting time. I learned a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Mm, mm. Mm. Wonderful. Okay. So hope you found Donna's uh, interview inspiring, especially if you want to go into the world of copywriting and content writing. So what are you doing this coming week, Al, until we chat again? I am I am desperately finishing things up for the school holidays. That's what I'm doing. Oh, and I'm also yes. preparing. I'm doing some face-to-face writing workshops um, in my local area oh, in yes. the school holidays, Did which you know? are now sold out. So, um, yep, sold out. So I'm, um, just, I'm preparing for those and I am, um, you know, chasing kids because that's how I roll. (laughs) And you're being, and you're being a momager. Oh, hashtag momager. I really um, am being a momager. Kardashian or Kris Jenner or whatever. Yeah, that's so me. Um, we're honestly like we could be besties. We're so similar. No, uh, Oh, so, yeah, okay, so Book Boy has a gig at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney uh, this weekend. He is going to be performing at the MCA Gen X event. They have a fantastic quarterly event there for um, 
for kids, 12 to 18-year-olds, and it's all free, free tickets, but you have to actually, you know, get yourself a ticket. And um, they put on, they've got four bands and four acoustic artists on on the night, and you get to go to all the exhibitions and they have free food and free drink and it's all supervised, no adults allowed. I am not allowed to go. I am allowed to... No, how's this? I'm allowed to drive him, you know, I drive the car, carry the guitar. I get to do all of that. I used to drop him off. I get to watch the sound check and then I have to leave the building and cannot return until I pick him up, you know, at the end of the night. So it's, I know, I'm banned entirely. Um, So he's, you know, thinking this is very cool because he's just going to be a rock and roll star without me. And I'm just thinking, oh, okay, I'll be, you know, wandering around Circular Cave three hours if anyone wants me. Um, But yeah, no. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a thing. Um, but yeah, he's really excited, and it's yeah, it's great. Like the opportunities that are available, you know, if you if you look for them, um, yeah, the opportunities yeah. that are available out there for kids, it's just incredible. It's amazing. I just can't even imagine doing something like that when I was fourteen. But anyway, that's what you do. <laughs> you are raising the next Daniel Johns, it seems. Oh. Uh, I don't know about that. Before he went bad, you <laughs> I know. just, as I said, I'm just driving the car and carrying the guitar. <laughs> it's just about as far as my role goes here. But anyway, um, oh what God. about you? What are you going to be doing? What am I going to be doing? I'm going to my friend's art exhibition. So I'm taking, I've, I'm a bit exhausted at the moment, to be honest, Al. I've been going hard and I've like recently it. been to Brisbane to um, do an all-day training for a group of awesome people. And um, they were great and it's certainly energising, but it's also very exhausting. So I just need to catch up on some of my binge shows on Netflix, to be honest. Mm. There you go. I think you do. I really honestly feel like you just need to lie down for a very long time. And have a banoffee pie. Mm, Definitely. Mm. Several. So where do we find you online? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at alisontaitwriter, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T, writer. Um, And if you'd like to check out Bookboy's music, he is at bookboy.com.au. And what about you, Valerie? Um, I am at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, please do connect with Alison and I in the podcast community. So if you're a listener and you want to connect with other listeners, it's such an awesome group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and we'd, and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.